Good evening. Well, Emily, you were right. It's not so bad once you get up here. Thanks. I am very honored, humbled, privileged, a little bit nervous to be up here this evening, but it is so good. Uh, there is no other place on earth that I would rather be than right here this evening, worshiping with you guys. Um, thank you. Man, we need to... Thank you seems so uh, in, insufficient for all that y'all have done for us. Um, I, I could go on forever, but really, I, I, I wouldn't know where to start. and I'd leave all these people out, but just thank you. Thank y'all so much. It's so good to be home, but to be loved and uh, ministered to and helped like, like you guys have helped us is just really really something so thank you from from me and Marcy and the kids thank you very much okay this evening I hope to uh, communicate a couple of things I want us to look in Philippians the book of Philippians if you'll go ahead and turn there I want us to look at a couple of ways that we identify with Christ and ways that we point people to the gospel uh, ways that we identify with Christ and ways that we point people to the gospel. I'm going to be looking at uh, some of those aspects in, in these verses in, first, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, the first chapter of Philippians. Um, I'm hoping to do that, but that's going to be a tall order. The Holy Spirit really, is, I'm counting on Him to come and, and show you in your hearts as, as we look at that. So it's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to read starting in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 says only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven 
and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> this evening, I want us to look at those verses and just kind of unpack what those mean. But as we do that, I hope to focus on ways that we can identify with Christ, ways, characteristics that we can say, man, this is what identifies us as followers of Jesus, and also ways that point others to the gospel. And the first, the first thing I want to point out there is obedience and unity. Obedience and unity. If you want to take notes, if you want to jot that down. But obedience and unity. Obedience identifies us with Christ, and, and unity, our unity, is going to point people to the gospel. First of all, our obedience comes to the gospel as we hear it. We've seen this in Zambia time and again. Many of you have seen it as you've come and worked alongside us. As you share the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed to the, to the people, to lost people, and you've, you've seen people respond in obedience to the gospel. But then also in obedience to his commands. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. And it, it, it touches on obedience there, but even in verse 27, how he starts out with saying, let your manner of life, let the, the, the way you live your life be lived out in a way that's worthy of the gospel. One of that, uh, one aspect of that is going to be obedience. You're going to be obedient to what God tells you to do. Is that true of us? Is Wind Baptist Church a church that is characterized by obedience to God? Is the way we live out our lives point to how amazingly valuable the gospel is? Do we show that to people, the way we live? Paul touches on, on down in, in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul touches on the fact that Jesus his obedience to God reached its climactic point when he obeyed to the very point of death. His, his entire life was, was characterized and marked by obedience to God. But that was something that hit its climactic point when he died. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have, I have trouble obeying God. Sometimes I don't do that. You might find that strange for someone who's sold as... Um, a lot of his stuff and moved to Africa, but I still have trouble sometimes being completely obedient to what God wants me to do. And when we do that, we're missing out. Because it's easy for us to say how important obedience is, but do we really show it in our lives? I mean, do we, when we really apply it and get down to it, that's, that's where things get tough. As I jotted down notes, thinking just thoughts, you know, about obedience, I put, disobedience is gritting our teeth at God and saying, I don't trust you. When we disobey God, we're gritting our teeth at him and saying, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you want what's best for me. I don't trust that you really love me and are going to take care of me. Our obedience identifies us strongly with Christ. 
our unity points people to the gospel. Shortly after, uh, in those verses where Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, um, he starts talking about unity. He begins this theme of unity that runs through those verses. And he says, I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit. That in this church at Philippi, these believers, I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit. I want to hear that you have one mind. And I want to know that you're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's already communicated the gospel is this amazingly valuable of infinite eternal worth. And he says, I want to know that you're unified and that you're striving together to point people to the gospel. Is Wind Baptist Church a church of one mind and of one spirit? And are we working, striving side by side for the gospel? Genuine unity is often hard, a hard thing to find in many churches today. Verse 28, he says, you won't be frightened. You know, this will be a sign. He says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. We already know who our opponents are. Brother Don touched on it this morning. We're not fighting against other people, our opponents. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual warfare that we're fighting. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I, I lose sight of that. And I tend to think of other people is coming against me and the other people are my enemy and they're not they're they're just they're pow's they're prisoners of war um, they're not the enemy itself and so here he's reminding these believers that you you've got to stay unified and when you do that's going to be a clear sign to people when you're not afraid when you're standing together fighting for the gospel it's going to be a clear sign to your opponents Is that true of Wynn Baptist? He goes on to talk about being of one mind, and you'll, you'll notice that he uses that term at least four or five times through those verses. It almost gets repetitive. He goes into, there in chapter 2, look at, look at some of those verses. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. This was something he really wanted to focus on. He really wanted him to get it. He says, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He keeps hammering on that. And then he, he goes into kind of really the most basic definition of humility that you can get when he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count other people more significant than yourself. Think of other people before yourself. That's really the most basic definition we can get of being humble. Put, put someone else before yourself. It amazes me that Jesus did that every single day with every single person he met. Have you ever thought about that? I have, confession time, I struggle with obedience. Sometimes I struggle with putting other people before myself too. Um, 
it amazes me that Jesus did that with every single person he ever met every single day. He never once said, you know what? Guys, sit down. I'm, we need to talk about me for a minute. He never did that. Even though he deserved that, even though he was more important than everyone else, he never did that. And so Paul's asking the church at Philippi to be humble, to be unified, to put other people before the, themselves. He says, self-focus has no place in the body of Christ. Focusing on ourselves should not have a place here at Wynn Baptist Church. Would you all agree? We should put other people before ourselves. That's hard. It's hard to do. It's really hard to do when your culture and your society feeds you the exact opposite every single day. That's one thing Marcy and I have noticed leaving America and going living in a different country. There's a whole different culture going on. And sure, people in Zambia are just as sinful as people in America, but there's, there's, it manifests itself in different ways. And uh, that's something that kind of strikes us each time we come back is how the culture and society here feeds you guys. It's all about you. It's all about you. Every, I mean, in everything, it's just this constant barrage. And if you hear that enough, you believe it and you start to believe, you know what? It is all about me. It is about my comfort and what I want and what I feel like. And then that starts spilling over into the church, and you start thinking, man, this is about me. Oh, yeah, we can sing it's all about Jesus. And we can sing about songs that, that say otherwise, but deep inside, we really believe that it is about us, and that's how we start living. Self-focus has no place in the body of Christ. We have laid down all our rights at the feet of Jesus. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, when you take up the cross, there's no coming back from that. When Jesus took up the cross, he was a dead man walking. It was done. It was done. Obedience is a way that we identify ourselves to Christ, and unity points people to the gospel. Another way we identify ourselves with Christ is through suffering. Suffering helps us identify with Christ. In verse 29, in those verses, uh, Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Do you find it strange that Paul does not say, I'm going to require you guys to suffer, or it's, it's, you're going to be forced to suffer, but he uses the word, it's, it's granted to you to suffer. And then, does he really put it on the same level as belief in God? Almost saying like, your ability to believe in God and be saved is right there on the, is going to be mentioned in the same sentence with your, we're granting you the opportunity to suffer for Christ. You see, just as much as American culture says it's all about me, 
it also becomes all about my comfort. And the opposite of suffering kicks in and, and says, no, you avoid suffering at all cost. It's a negative thing. It's bad. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Verse 30 says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. What's he talking about here? Well, you, you, you know, you probably don't remember, you might not remember, but uh, back in Acts, you remember Paul, uh, he knew a lot about suffering, first of all. I know you know that. Um, even when he was first converted, you remember God telling Ananias, hey, I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. And boy, he, he wasn't kidding. Paul really went through it. But when here's what he's talking about. To the church at Philippi, he says, you, you know um, the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Because Paul's writing from this letter from prison, but he's writing to the church at Philippi. And if you'll remember in Acts 16, he had um, Macedonian vision where, he, you know, the guy in Macedonia saying, hey, come help us out over here. So he goes, plants a church. As far as we know, his first church in Europe. Um, that's cool to a church planner. I think, man, that's, that's kind of neat. Um, but he goes there, plants the church, uh, goes down to the riverbank. Lydia was there, the dealer in purple cloth, and it says she opened her heart to the Lord. Um, then they cast some demons out of this slave girl that's following them around, disrupting things. Y'all remember this? And then, so because that interfered with some people's business, Paul and Silas got thrown in jail. Remember this? So things are locked up. What do they do in jail? Start singing. Start praising God. This earthquake happens. Amazing stuff. Would have loved to have been there to see that. And it's all dark. The Philippian jailer, you remember him? About to kill himself. Paul says no. And it says he and his whole household were saved. You remember that? What must I do to be saved? So then... Um, the city council kind of hears of it and says, well, oh my goodness, you know, let those guys go. Paul says, no way, we're not going to run out of here at night like, you know, we're ashamed of something. You tell them to come tell us themselves. And, uh, and they do, and first they go. And So th those were, that's the background. That's how this church started. Those are the people that are, that are listening to this letter being read. Uh, maybe the Philippian jailer and his family are sitting there listening to this and they hear that and they're saying, oh, yes, yeah, we know exactly what Paul went through. We know exactly the kind of suffering that he endured. And like I said, this, this, this letter's uh, being written from prison. Suffering is a way we identify ourselves with Christ. Um... It's a way we identify ourselves with Christ. It's also a way we identify with, with, with other people. I've noticed on the mission field, I'll never forget being in the village, sharing, going hut to hut, sharing with, with different people. And there was this man, and ended up, he was a believer. And as I shared with him, he asked me something about my family. And I said, well, they're at home today. I said, my daughter, um, Emily, had malaria at the time. I said, my daughter's sick. She's in bed with malaria. Actually, if you could pray for her, that would be great. And I'll never forget the look on his face as it dawned on him 
you have some of the same struggles that we have. That was something that he could really identify. As far as he knew, I was some multi-billionaire who was exempt from all problems and suffering. But when he heard that, I'll never forget. It really touched him, and he said, I will. I'll pray for her, because that was something he could identify with. That was something his, he'd been sick with malaria. His children had had malaria. He knew people who had died uh, from malaria. So that was something that, that he could identify with. You know, when Baptist Church knows about suffering, um, when Baptist knows a little about suffering, as I prepared for this, I asked uh, a couple of people in the church about uh, their thoughts on suffering and just how that, how that impacted their relationship with the Lord. And um, I wanted to read some of those this evening. One person said, well, for years before I met Christ, I suffered alone. But now I have someone with me who goes through it with me and helps me. Another person said, one thing I've learned and relearned is to wait on the Lord. Our strength comes from Him. While the road is not easy, God had the plan already written before the foundation of the world. There is victory in Jesus. These are some people that have experienced deep suffering and sorrow in their life. One person said, our perspective has been changed. We know that this is not all there is. We're waiting for the ultimate life of being with Jesus in heaven. Suffering refines, suffering changes people, and suffering is a great teacher. Another person said, I've lost more than most people I know. And sometimes I, I don't feel like other parents understand our pain, but I never feel alone. Jesus gave his life not just for me, but for my son as well. And he knows my suffering. I've never been alone. Another couple said, he has been faithful big time. And I think more people have been saved because of our son's death. It catapulted us to a new level and made us much more bold in sharing the gospel. When we suffer, it's a way we identify ourselves with Christ. There's one other person I... I wanted to get his thoughts on suffering, and I wanted to show you that. He's actually one of my best friends. Some of y'all know him, some of y'all don't. His name is Max, and um, I have a video of him. Um, if we can show that video, I think you'll get a, a glimpse of his heart and some of the suffering he's gone through. Yeah, here's another share that I have. Uh, when I was a Christian now, as a Christian, we... We had a baby uh, who was born. That was in 2004. Uh, yeah, 2004, just there. When I was a new uh, 
Christian. I was a baby Christian by then. I was growing, depending on the word of God. We, my, my wife became pregnant. Um, she delivered. In fact, she delivered before I became a Christian. Now, the first week of the, the deliverance, the, the child started crying, 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 crying. And then she developed the head, started also growing, growing, growing. Uh, now, because of the Holy Spirit that was in me, I could see for sure that I'm just dependent on Jesus. He has power. He, I, I depend on him. So we kept on praying, taking the child to the hospital. Now, at the same time, I, I was going through uh, my child is suffering, and then I prayed to God to say, no, if you want to take this child, God, don't take him at this point. Let it be some time later so that maybe these people will know that I worship the living God. So this is how the child uh, took time. We could go to the, the hospital again and again. It took us for about two years, and finally the child passed away. Uh, this is how he died. I, I know for sure that it was God who gives and it was God who wanted that child to, to he allowed it for, for the child to die. So I had no problem about that. And again, uh, 20, uh, 2013, we had another child. Now this one, she was born. She was he was born, he was just okay. But he didn't cry. I was phoned that your child is not crying here. So can you come? I went there, it was around zero three night. So I went to the clinic there, I found the child was not crying. I prayed, prayed, prayed. We waited and waited and waited. I think it was about 10 hours waiting, nothing. Finally, we were just called to say, no, your child has died. Also, the first death, the second death of my child does not affect me with the relationship that I have with Jesus. Because I know for sure that one day I will die. And Jesus came, he also died and he rose from the dead. By so doing, he promised that whoever believe in him, he will rise just like he has risen from the dead. So I believe that. So I'm very happy. I don't have a problem with the relationship that I have with God, because I know that everything that I see, all the people that I see, one day they will die. The only problem will be if someone does not believe in Jesus. Max shared how two of his children died, and then he said, so I don't, I don't have a problem with God about that. And then he said, I'm happy. How can you say that? How can you be happy? How can you have joy after telling something like that? Probably for the same reason that in Philippians, Paul could write, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. For the same reason he can say in chapter 1, I make my prayers for you with joy. For the same reason he can say, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Because the same spirit that is in Maxwell, that is in the people that, um, that I talked to, was in the Apostle Paul and is in us. And we can have joy in that. We can have joy in that. Even through suffering. Even as, even as deep sorrow and suffering identifies us with Christ and points people to the gospel. Obedience, unity, suffering, all identify us with Christ. And Paul points to Jesus as the ultimate example of obedience and the ultimate example of suffering. Lastly, forgiveness identifies us with Christ. Forgiveness. As we are forgiving people and forgive each other, that identifies us with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus was the ultimate example of forgiveness. Towards the end of those verses, Paul describes what Jesus did so that we can have forgiveness. And a lot of scholars believe that these verses, um, chapter 2, uh, verse 5 down, is part of a hymn that early believers would have sang to each other. But he came so that we can have forgiveness. And this is something that I really felt like the Lord put on my heart to say tonight. If disobedience is gritting our teeth at God and saying, I don't trust you, then unforgiveness is shaking our fist at Jesus and saying, you don't understand. Unforgiveness is shaking our fist at Jesus and saying, you don't understand. You don't understand what he did to me. You don't understand what she said to me. You don't understand how much they hurt me. You don't know how they hurt my kids. Really. Matthew 26, verse 67 says, Then they spit on his face and struck him. And some slapped him. Matthew 27, 30 says, And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. He doesn't understand? God doesn't understand? I beg to differ. He does. He does. How can we hold on to unforgiveness and hold on to a grudge and say, No, no, I won't forgive that. I can't forgive them. How can we do that? He does understand. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God 
in Christ forgave you. Forgive other people as God in Christ forgave you. How did God forgive you? What did he forgive you of? You see, if I have trouble forgiving someone, and I've struggled with this, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you straight up. Um, God has taken us through some things in the past few years. Even on the mission field, we've not been exempt from this and dealing with, with unforgiveness and having to forgive someone maybe who didn't even come to you and say, will you forgive me? But the bottom line is, forgive one another as God and Christ forgave you. And uh, I don't know about you, but God's forgiven me of some horrible, terrible things. And uh, if we really can't forgive someone else, then we don't fully understand what God's forgiven us of, what he's done for us. Because I have a feeling you're a lot like me, and God's forgiven us of many many, many things. If we identify with Christ through obedience and unity and suffering and forgiveness, then the opposite of those things are true too. We distance ourselves from God and we push people away from the gospel when we're disobedient, when we're fractured, when we're more concerned about ourself and our comfort and when we hold on to unforgiveness and when we say, no, I, I can't forgive that person and I'm going to hold on to this grudge and I'm going to feed it and I'm going to let it take root in my heart and I'm going to let it spill over and poison all of my relationships and poison my church. God understands. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As God forgave those people. These people is amazing to me. To finish out those verses, it says, therefore, this is verse 9 in chapter 2, um, after talking about, you know, the old hymn I told you about, and um, it says, therefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's all about Jesus. Whether we mean it or not, whether we say it or not, it, it, it's, it's all about him. It's all about him. This church our relationships, our obedience, our unity. All of those are areas that I know I can improve in. I know there's room that I need to, to allow God to come in and, 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 and work on, on me in some of those areas.
I'll be the first to admit that. And there's just a little bit of time left. I wanted to go ahead and offer a time of response this evening. I, I, I felt led to do this and just maybe music could come and play and just give people a time to respond. And if you feel God prompting you to do something, can I ask you to be obedient to that tonight? It may be going to someone and saying, I need to ask you to forgive me of something. It may be forgiving someone who will never come to you and ask for that. It may be. It may be taking some steps towards being more unified this week. It may be taking steps of obedience to whatever God's told you. I, I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But can we just have a few minutes here at the end as we close out a time of response? And if people want to, if you, if you want to move around and go to someone and talk to them and say, brother, can you, will you forgive me or can we pray together? Um, can I just encourage you to do that? This is something I just really feel like the Lord put on my heart. I feel like we need to do. Maybe it's just a time where you need to pray and ask God, hey, show me. Is there any of this in my life? Is there any unforgiveness in my heart? Is there anything I'm doing to disrupt unity in this church? Is there any disobedience in my life? Then God is right there willing to forgive us and help us with that. So if we can take a few moments to do that, and then we'll close. But please, be obedient to whatever God's telling you to do this evening.